0: hello 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 yeah yeah how are you can you hear me well
1: i can hear you perfectly
0: so what we want to talk about today is several things first of all uh we have just released an update to the beam desktop wallet on dapnet and we will talk uh uh about what it has to offer and uh um some important improvements that we we made and also some things that uh, we're still working on and uh, in general it opens uh the road to uh many different applications uh, that will use uh a feature uh, that was kind of most i think interesting and important in this release except for the hardware wallet and it's the high frequency transactions uh, and the first application that is using it right now is the Nifrit uh, Confidential Stablecoin. Um, so we will talk about that. Uh, then we will uh, answer the questions uh, that we have from the community, quite a lot of them. Uh, and they keep coming. And uh, uh, also, uh, as this kind of uh, like central topic that uh, we advertise in, you know, before each space, I would like to talk about the Web Wallet. Uh, update on how it is coming along and also talk about how we can use it for adoption and what we can do with the dap store um, yeah so these are the things that we will talk about
1: absolutely like a very big topic breadth and and very good questions coming through from the community uh and and the first question i believe to come through from the community via the beam messenger
0: really (laughs) yeah that's that's really cool uh what is the question do you see it somewhere
1: i see it somewhere uh oh I think the question is also relating to the Beam messenger and it was talking about fees for sending messages to avoid, uh, spam attacks and, and this kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's start with this question because it's, it's a good one. So there, uh, currently Bee messenger works using SBBS. SBBS is, uh, a, um, a service that's uh, present in all Beam nodes. Uh, and uh, uh, as you know, it's used mostly for kind of creating transactions by interacting between wallets. But now we have also adopted it for uh, for the messenger. Before that, it was also used for broadcasting offers on the asset swap and the atomic swap marketplaces. And it's uh, currently, this service works outside the blockchain, so it's not related to the blockchain at all. That's why it does not charge uh, fees directly, it does not have this uh, capacity, right? So in order to charge fees, you need some kind of a transaction because it consumes uh, some of the UTXOs that you have and all that. Uh, the benefit here is that these messages can be sent uh, very quickly, uh, does not need to wait you know, for a block time or whatever to, to close. Um, in order to battle the spam problem, what we have done is we have uh, added an additional uh, proof of work, actually, inside the wallet. And the way this proof of work uh, helps us is that before the wallet sends uh, a, an SBBS message, it needs to solve uh, some kind of a simple, relatively simple, like, proof of work uh, riddle. So, if you are trying to send like massive amounts of sbbs messages it will uh, it will be costly in terms of the uh cpu resources that you will need to spend and that's how we uh, implemented this protection so that's that's kind of uh it's something that was not added for the uh messenger it was actually added a long time ago uh, in general to protect from spamming sbbs messages so we, we have that for a while now however uh charging for messages is not necessarily a bad idea regardless from like sbbs implementation uh, we can think how it could be implemented and one of the possible uh, interesting mechanism that we could utilize uh, is a laser beam uh, for those of you uh, who are new here and uh, don't know what it is it was created long time ago uh, and it's basically a direct payment channel implementation similar to the lightning network Uh, that we have added. So you create a uh, paid channel or like finance channel, and then you can exchange instant transactions and only settle uh, eventually when the channel is closing. Uh, This is exactly the same idea as uh, uh, the one used in the Lightning Network. What we didn't do, we didn't implement the routing that the Lightning Network has, because honestly, I don't think it works very well, but it can work Nicely in a, uh, a so-called hub and spoke architecture. So we basically have like one big hub, which ha- holds a lot of finance channels, and then exchanges the the funds between those channels inside the hub. So that's possible, uh, and then uh, it allows you to have micro payments, which is what you need when you want to pay for for messages. Like it, it, it's a good, in- interesting idea to discuss, but at the moment uh, it's not a um, a simple feature to add for
1: sure and and like if if it was just done on like the layer one paying for the fees this would also make the messenger as it is a lot slower uh than than using SPBS, right
0: yes uh i i I think uh like we can have a, a messenger contract which is like fairly simple but it would be uh it would be different in many ways and yes much slower okay um, but you know there, there are some some interesting thoughts behind it. Like let me, let me think it through. Like maybe uh, maybe we will uh, come up with all kinds of interesting features around it. Um, now why are we talking about the uh, Beam Messenger? Because today uh, we have released the updated uh, version of the Beam Desktop Wallet 7.3 for DAPnet. And we are hoping to release the mainnet version next week. Now, uh, it's very important and helpful that anyone in the community who is, like, really wants to participate and help uh, Beam in general to download this version and to play with it and to look for bugs, because today, uh, earlier today, one of our great community members, uh, Daniel, also known on Twitter as intern.beam, uh, found a bug. He found a bug in the DAO accumulator uh, contract that was kind of uh, talked about a lot in terms of the liquidity accumulation phase before the DEX launch. And he found a very interesting bug. Uh, uh, and also, like, not, it was not just a bug, it was Vladi's bug, which does not happen very often. And he can, yeah, be very proud and probably join the list of like five people that ever found Gladys bugs in the world, ever. Uh, so yeah, it really helps. And I uh, really salute that. And like, it's, it's very helpful, uh, especially now that we have ton of features and corners and applications and things. And uh, everybody uh, like everyone is using it on a different machine in a slightly different setup doing all kinds of things that you know hit uh, uh, all kinds of uh, scenarios that are not necessarily mainstream or like edge cases which are very important and it's a great contribution it's a great uh, um, effort that we really need from the community to make this product better so i really really encourage everyone (laughs) head of beam right now yeah he was just promoted uh, Daniel in the community channel. So, <laughs> and uh, it it really helps. Uh, it really helps. Uh, like in general, our community is absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, the support, the participation. Uh, but you know, for testing uh, kind of efforts when the major versions or important versions are released, uh, it's also extremely uh, helpful to get more feedback. So. Um, just to talk about like what we have in, or like what are the key features that we have in the DAppNet uh, right now in the new wallet version, and we'll have on mainnet next week. So first of all, uh, let's start with the hardware wallet uh, support that we uh, have been working on for a while, and uh, uh, now it was made really really simple. When you initialize a new wallet, you can just uh, kind of choose to add your or connect your hardware wallet. We're talking about right now Ledger uh, Nano X and Nano X Plus. And uh, uh, yeah, please test it. It's it's supposed to work for all types of transactions that we have interactive, uh, Lelanto's non-interactive and uh, public offline. Um, Yeah, the public offline had some issue that was fixed really basically earlier today and uh, was included in the version that we have released. The BIM Messenger, the first, first, first version, it will be improved significantly in the next version. But right for now, it has very basic functionality included, and it is featured on the uh, toolbar on the left, uh, just you know as a kind of built-in wallet feature. It's not a DAB. Uh, also, we did a lot of work, uh, and we still need to do some additional work uh, to feature the asset ID in uh, more prominent places, uh, because as you know, the asset ID is the only unique identifier that allows you to distinguish between two assets that are called BIM Beam or BIMX or anything else. Um, and uh, it, it was uh, hidden in all kinds of menus, sub menus, uh, but now in the new version, it is featured on all of your kind of, um, you know, the places where the uh, asset is shown. I still uh, think we need to add it to the transaction list, to the main transaction list, even though it's present in the details, but it would be, I mean, I think beneficial to see it prominent in, in the transaction list. Uh, and also uh, in the confirmation dialogues. And whenever you are selecting um, which uh, asset you want to send or receive uh, in the lists, in the dropdowns in the send and receive screens and the, the applications, the ID is also uh, always present, so you can uh, more easily navigate and understand exactly what you are sa- sending or receiving.
1: This makes a lot of sense, uh, especially regarding like the asset ID, and and this was like when the asset swaps went live, and and with the reduced cost of like the confidential assets Mm -hmm. being minted a lot of the community saw like a a bunch of obviously fake like a beam or BMX or or fake other assets and this kind of stuff and and it was a a little bit confusing obviously so like the asset ID acts as like a unique identifier so that yeah, if you know the ID, then you don't have to worry about much else. Yes, like you're, you can know that what you're buying is what
0: you're wanting to buy. Absolutely. Now there was a question earlier about that and whether there should be some mechanism uh, to kind of uh, restrict or authorize specific pairs to be present on uh, on the decks, uh, for example, but. Uh, earlier, if you remember, we had those discussions, uh, we tried to do something with the check It did not uh, really go very well and we have decided against it eventually. So instead what we're going to do uh, is two things. First of all, we're going to uh, clearly specify and uh, feature the idea of the asset in all important kind of decision uh, making places. And also we will provide Uh, more like a positive reinforcement, like a favorite button or like a shortlist, things that will allow you to uh, sort and kind of make your pools that you're using uh, and you know that they are the correct ones to be featured and shown in uh, your favorite screen. And then uh, you will have less chance of being uh, kind of misguided or kind of trying to make a trade uh, with the wrong asset so we will try to do it this way for now instead of uh, restricting the uh, presence of other assets uh, in the decks or anywhere else uh, now like the, also there is a feature uh, that uh, today i was kind of uh, uh, surprised to learn that not many people know about or like maybe maybe people don't know about when you are looking at the list of your assets in the wallet like if you have a lot of assets uh, on the top part where all of these kind of uh, assets are listed, you can click on one or two or several uh, assets and make them selected. And then in the top right corner, you have this switch when you can only show the selected assets. So basically, you can operate on the short list uh, and of assets that you are like, more interested you in right now. And also, it filters the list of transactions. So you will also see the transactions with those assets in the list. Uh, And then you can just click on remove filter and it will get go back to the uh, full list of all of your holdings. Uh, I think it's a very um, useful feature if you operate a lot of different assets uh, as I do. And obviously on DAPnet, you have a lot of assets for testing. Um, So yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good feature now. If you uh, have like additional suggestions of things that you would like to kind of be more, Customized to, to your uh, you know experience, uh, it's also something we we can definitely uh, discuss and uh, would love to have your input on how we can improve the wallet experience in terms of usability, uh, because it's the first time that we now have uh, really a lot of assets because you know as all uh, pools in the dex create their own LP tokens. Um, they don't have like really good unique names for now and so yeah so it's, it's kind of becoming uh, more uh relevant to talk about like customization of the world experience also in terms of the dabs right we have more dabs uh so maybe some of them should be in the shortlist or liked or featured or <clears throat> like made more prominent in some way Um
1: yeah absolutely and, and this like uh the filtering of assets will become even more like important with more being added, whether it's because of the decks or mm-hmm. with stable coins and this kind of thing. So it, the, uh, and the feature that you mentioned, super, super handy. Like you just select the ones you want and then switch it over to select it and, and you just see what you want to see. Uh, I guess if the the asset list grows extremely large, that may not scale so well, but for now, it's it's excellent. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Okay, so people already start uh, uh, finding bugs, I see, in the messenger, which is great. Um, Okay, so let's move to the questions for now, and then kind of talk more about uh, the web wallet. I will find my uh, question list back. Okay,
1: one of the questions that came up, and and it's come up a few times in the past, uh, and it's about like the decentralization of hash rate. Uh, should Beam have, like, or, or I guess the foundation have its own mining pool? Uh, I think a user mentioned one of the mining pools has over 50% or, or near uh, and, and like how is best to kind of fix that potential problem with one of the pools having a, a large share of the hash power for being.
0: Yeah. So in the past, we have been strongly against mining by ourselves, uh, because we felt that it kind of sense, uh, I don't know maybe the wrong message or maybe makes this kind of you know if the project has to mine itself maybe it becomes uh you know weaker in terms of reputation but uh, uh yeah like I, I totally agree that having a uh, centralization of mining power is not a good thing to have for sure uh one thing that totally fixes that obviously is being price, right like if the price was uh higher then that the problem would be uh, far less severe uh, and also the delisting from binance i think removed some of the pools that worked with binance so this is this was also an issue um, i think that the solution is uh, uh kind of composite and made of uh doing some uh mining development like like you have business development unit like mining development t- talking more to different miners and trying to bring them on board um maybe mining ourselves like eventually could be done but I, I like I, I don't see how this is really helpful like if it's your miner and uh, uh, depending like how much power you control um by the way, the night session is still operational that uh, service that you we, we used to, or like not we used but our miners used I think
1: I think it
0: is, but I do remember vaguely
1: over the last year or something some news about nice hash and I can't quite remember what it was
0: yeah like back in the day uh, nice hash was uh, mostly used for attacks but uh, it was also kind of a good uh a resource to uh, you know work with decentralization or like pro- add additional capacity when you needed it in order to balance the the mining pools um we will look into that like i, I don't have a like very strict like answer i to either side but uh, uh, we, we will check what can be done um uh, also if you know miners that you know are looking uh, what to do with their GPUs now that the Ethereum is proof of stake. Uh, I think beam could be also an option. Um, okay. So <clears throat> what else do we have in terms of questions?
1: The next question that came up, uh, we have answered and that was when the next release yes. will come and that, that's on DAPnet now. So if you haven't downloaded it after the space, jump on and download, uh, get testing and the mainnet release will be around next week.
0: You know what? There is this um, uh, question. Uh, I think it's uh, the one about uh, showing pools that uh, it's basically a suggestion for the decks. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, indeed there are a lot of uh, uh kind of improvements or like usability uh, suggestions which are very good that uh, are important for like making these uh, applications the new applications especially better there is one thing that uh, this specific question touches and uh, it's something that we had an internal discussion like for a very long time and we also talked about it uh, in a previous spaces we mentioned it uh, but maybe it's a discussion that's worth actually uh, making into a uh, official discussion or maybe even a vote um and I'll tell you why because when you uh, like le- let's let me first like read the question and then explain like why, why it's very important so i think it'd be it'd be useful to show pools for which I have AMML, which is the LP tokens for. The My tab only shows pools that I've opened, and on top of that is actual withdraw screen that you can get to show how much MML you actually have for that pool. And right now it shows the pools total. So basically the question here is that, can I filter the pools in, in the list of the application to match the LP tokens that I hold, which is very reasonable, right? Like I have LP tokens from several pools and I want to see those pools first and foremost. Now, the problem with that is that currently all of the applications have uh, very uh, strict privacy settings. They cannot know the balance that the wallet holds of any asset, which includes, so happens, the LP tokens that you're holding. Now, what this means uh, is that You enter the application. The application doesn't know anything about your balances. So it cannot filter uh, the the list of pools for you. It doesn't know, right? So in order to kind of provide a temporary fix for the situation, we provided the favorites, right? So in the favorites, when you add liquidity to the pool and you're holding the LP token, you just add this pool to your favorites. And now you have it in the shortlist. Uh, Obviously, not a perfect solution, but we believe that in short term, it's better than nothing. Now, about the ability of applications to see uh, different details uh, of your holdings, uh, this is something that we thought about in several ways. So, the first kind of thought we had is to provide permissions. Like, each application will request permissions to access either certain balances of specific coins, Uh, or maybe like if it's like something like Dex, maybe all balances of all coins. And I was never quite um, comfortable with this approach because in my mind, it always, uh, you know, goes to these like phone application experiences when you install some, I don't know, I spot like uh, light uh, uh, flashlight application, and then suddenly requests access to your contacts and your data and your everything. Uh, and uh, like it, it's it's basically kind of approach that doesn't work very well because if you do not approve those permissions, what happens? Can you say no? I don't want the application to access these data, and then the application should handle this situation, right? It's a complicated approach, but we need to think about it. By the way, this is also the reason for those who notice that at the bottom of each DAP, you have this uh, pane that opens that includes your wallet balance and the transactions for this specific uh, application. The reason for that is that pane belongs to the wallet. It cannot be seen by, by the DAP, right? But in order to make it more convenient for you to see how much holdings you have of each coin, uh, we have added this, uh, this pane that kind of floats from uh, the bottom part of the screen and uh, shows you your current status whenever you are inside the application so you don't have to go to the main screen to check this data. So what I'm saying is that uh, we can talk about it like in more formal kind of uh, feature request or a vote even to decide whether we want applications to be able to request certain uh, access rights and what it will improve it will improve the usability of the applications to provide more accurate kind of tailor-made experience for you uh, based on the tokens that you're holding uh, but it will also provide additional risk for for the price
1: absolutely and and like it's a a very interesting discussion to have like there's there's pros and cons on both sides obviously uh i i I noticed this when I first tested Nefri app and i <laughs> i I wasn't using the pain down the bottom because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very basic human and I kept going back to the main screen and then forgetting how much uh, beam I had in my DapNet wallet and going back and 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 I couldn't think like why why doesn't the DAP know how many beam I have but then. <laughs> then we discussed it after and i thought oh, of course and and it makes sense uh and I guess like it's a, a tricky thing in general to get privacy and like usability uh aligned and and good on both sides yeah which is is something that like has been a challenge in general for me not just with uh like uh dapps and that kind of thing yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's been a long uh, uh, ongoing discussion uh, on this balance between the usability and the privacy. Uh, And as I mentioned before, we often err on the side of privacy, like we often take this uh, to be kind of less convenient, but more private, Uh, not necessarily, you know, this balance, we we, we get it right all the time and we need to discuss that, you know, and uh, get to the better conclusions together. Um, uh, By the way, uh regarding the uh previous question that we discussed and also appears here on the uh, whether the assets in the pools are verified or not like what kind of assets are those one of the things that helps a lot uh, in this case and something that we might probably uh, also add in the near future and improve uh is the amount like the activity of the pool right so the more active the pool is uh, not just in terms of the liquidity that is there, like the the volume, but the volume of transactions, how many users, like how many different uh, uh, activities there. It may uh, the popularity of the pool may also be a good indication uh, of uh, whether it's uh, a scam or not, because I believe that you know the the valid pools will have more activity naturally than the scammy ones. I think true or like maybe i don't know maybe community voting on the pool so like voting not in terms of like uh voting but rather like uh, i don't know likes or favorites even though all of these things that can be can be tricked but still maybe it's a, it's a good idea to have those
1: yeah absolutely and and this makes me think i think to get the
0: website,
1: I think there's a few of them, like even CoinGecko and uh, DexTools and and these kind of things do it, where you can like give a thumbs up for the assets. Or mm-hmm. I think DexTools has like a a kind of meter, and it talks about like a trust score and this kind of stuff. And I I think that takes like a number of factors into it and this kind of stuff, and and displays it on their website. Uh, so many many ways to to do to go about it, but of course, like always, gameable and and of course there always needs to be like due diligence and and a little bit of caution on the user side as well.
0: Yeah, uh, there was a, another question just came in. Uh, is it possible for users to create high frequency transactions? Um, and uh, it's it's a it's a good question. Uh, like the meaning of high frequency transactions is uh, basically to be able to monitor the situation in the mempool before the block is closed, right? So let me give you an example. Let's say uh, the, the simplest example I could kind of think of, and uh, uh, it's very uh, I don't know uh, like straightforward. So let's say you you and I we want both to buy the same NFT, right? And we're yeah. bidding on it, and so, so like, if we used a regular mechanism without high-frequency transactions, the way it would work, like you would say, send your bid, I would send my bid, and then when the block is mined, eventually uh, only one of those, the highest bid, would go in, and like one of us would buy it, and the other one would be basically you know left bidding for the for another NFT. Now, in the high-frequency transactions you can monitor the mempool and you can see that I have already placed a higher bid than yours, uh, even before the block is mined. And now you can adjust your bid or I can adjust my bid, or eventually we can do this bidding war like within the one block time. And then you can say, okay, whenever I'm not going to to bid on that, I'm going to switch to another NFT. And then when the next block is mined, all of these things have already happened, right? So eventually, uh, the bidding has already occurred within within the block. And as we know, the block time on average is one minute, uh, but it can be also longer or shorter. But, you know, the transactions, uh, this kind of mempool negotiation, uh, which uses SBBS is much faster and can be much more efficient. So this requires an application. The user cannot do it manually, right? You can, but it's very, very difficult. You will see like a... Uh, Uh, you know flurry of transactions happening you will need to make decisions it's it's not something that is intended for the ui but it is intended uh for the uh automatic handling by the application specifically the application shader that runs in the wallet and monitors these uh, information so it can see for example uh when there is a slippage uh, that's higher than the tolerance or it can see that uh the fees has changed right if the those are dynamic fees uh, and then it can either make automatic adjustments within the specific parameters that application allows uh, and thus make sure the transaction still goes through or it, it can abort and alert the user that listen uh the operation that you're trying to do uh, will not you know be, be able to perform in this block so all of these options are handled by the DAP. so uh, answering this question is, yes, it is theoretically possible for users to to use high frequency transactions, but uh, it would hardly be uh, feasible uh, because of the nature of how they work.
1: So this, like, uh, just so that I can wrap my head around, like, the benefits of it, would this, like, avoid uh failed transactions or this kind of
0: thing yes this will okay. this will avoid failed transactions in situations where uh parameters change dynamically and um, okay. uh, in in nefrit specifically it's very useful because uh, uh if you have like several uh people trying to do the same operation uh at the same time like uh, uh redeeming or like uh, you know All all kinds of situations where each transaction changes the state and makes all the uh, rest of the transactions different. Uh, By the way, uh, because of the bugs or because of the lack of support or correct support for this feature, that's why uh, a lot of people had trouble uh, testing the free with the previous version of the Dapnet wallet uh, because it did not handle some of the situations with uh, uh, high frequency transactions correctly and that led to failed transactions. You click the button you're trying to do an operation like open a trove or whatever and then you know suddenly it fails you don't understand why so this is uh, now fixed in the newest version of the of the wallet
1: okay nice and and like in general a very like useful sorry very useful like feature to not have so many like failed transactions i know that a lot of like the big events like whether it's an nft or whatever that were happening on ethereum many of the users were complaining about like high transaction fees and f- failed transactions and and all this kind of stuff
0: yeah i, I mean first of all it's important to, to not that uh, in Beam, you never pay fees for failed transaction right that, that's not possible uh, to pay fees for for failed transaction Failed transaction just means that the transaction was not accepted or will not be accepted by the blockchain, will not be included. You you don't pay for them in any case, uh, but uh, still, even if you don't pay for them, it can uh, you know uh, it can lead to missed opportunities or missed actions that you wanted to perform but could not. Uh, so yeah, failed transactions are not good in any way, but don't worry, you never pay for those in in B. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I I would like to move to another question. Um, I'm I'm skipping here a little bit, but uh, you know, um, we do have a lot of ground to cover Uh, about the public offline address. And um, there was a suggestion to move it to a more uh, kind of prominent location in the wallet, uh, and uh, build a partial FAQ for the wallet. like like, in, inside the wallet, yeah, I mean, I think that's that what it means. Uh, I mean, like, we do have full documentation, but, like, uh, when you are in the wallet, it might be easier to click on this kind of I or the question mark icon and just see what it means uh, at each place. Um, yeah, all, all of these are good uh, suggestions, but I would like to focus for a second on the public offline address because this is another great uh, example of... Uh, How can the privacy focused uh, the UI have been so far and what it means uh, like in practice? What is a public offline address? So the regular offline address, which became available when we added the Lilantus protocol support, is basically an ability to send uh, a transaction like UTXO into the shielded pool, and uh, then the uh, recipient of these funds can take it out later from the pool and use it whenever uh, they want, without being online when the transaction happens. Uh, Unlike the regular mimble transaction that requires signature from both wallets, this one does not and kind of works more similar to Bitcoin in this regard. You can send something and forget it. But in order to do that properly, uh, you do need some information from the receiver that you usually get beforehand in an exchange uh, when you like first get the first address. Um, It also includes a set of vouchers, how we call them, which allow you to send certain amount of offline payments and then those vouchers are periodically refreshed uh, by the wallets through SBBS when the receiver and the sender are both online or something. Now the public offline address does not require uh, vouchers. It can be used basically like forever, you can publish it on your website. And the benefit is that, uh, once again, it's, it's private, right? So like, nobody knows who, who sent to these public address. Uh, but uh, probably if you publish it on your website, then people will know that it's you. <laughs> you are the owner. Uh, doesn't have to be like this. But once again, like, if you use the same address uh, for many different people, you know, it's, it makes it less private in terms of like people can meet and say, oh. You know this guy. That's his public offline address. Yes, I know him too. And you know, compare information. That's why we consider public offline address a little bit less private than even the regular offline address. The second point, which is even more technical, is that there is a theoretical possibility of the sender to this, like the public online uh, offline, uh, offline address, to see when those funds are spent. I mean. Like I send, uh, let's say, like one beam to a public offline address. And then I have a theoretical possibility. It's not supported by the wallet. Obviously, you need to write custom code for that. But it's theoretically possible to, to see when it was sent. You still don't see where it was sent or what happened to it. But you just see that somebody touched it. Like the, the recipient, right, which you probably know, touched these funds. And still, this provides additional information, which can theoretically be used to correlate or trace over there. And this is why uh, we have uh, kind of located this public offline address in the settings, deep, deep inside the wallet, because we feared that uh, since it's so convenient to use, right, it's just like Bitcoin, you create an address, you send it to everybody, like, send me money. Uh, it will be abused in a way, and then it will influence the privacy of the network. That's how it came uh, <laughs> to be. I, like, o- honestly, I don't even know if I can find it easily. Settings. You go to settings. Uh, privacy. No. Yes. I have no idea where this.
1: I I was looking for it. The other day, also, and and it was quite difficult to find. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and we like, did well. Yeah, and and I mean, like, it, it when you find it, you think, why is it all the way back here? But like what you've just explained with regards to negatively affecting like your privacy and this kind of stuff and and for like if everyone was using that then it would also negatively affect like the the whole network exactly
0: yeah i found it it's in utilities Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) of course it is no no but but really uh it's it's like it's a great question And, and when i see those questions i'm always like um i'm i'm always thinking like whether uh all of these decisions are actually like correct because yeah, like public offline address, when it was created, it was intended for uh, very specific use cases of anonymous donations. That was the goal behind it, right? We, we could have avoided yeah. using it altogether, but then we said, listen, let's say you're uh, an organization that wants to receive anonymous donations. This is perfect for you. You take this public offline address, you publish it on uh, your website, and then whoever sends funds to you does this without fear of like, disclose, like, nobody knows who that person is, uh, not even the recipient. And the fact that this uh, donor can see when those funds are spent, eh, that's like, okay, not, not a big deal, right? So that's what uh, was the original thought behind this public offline address. But then we have, when we have added it to the wallet, and initially it actually was on uh, like, I think the, the main uh, receive screen. Uh, yeah and we thought wait a second but now what's going to happen is everybody's going to use this address and without kind of really understanding what what this means and then like it, it's going to be uh a privacy problem so we we hid it uh, deep inside the setting so yeah that's first of all that's why it's there if you ever wondered uh and uh, it's a good question whether we should make it more prominent like one of the things that uh i really kind of uh it's a big pain point in general uh for, for privacy or like private technology uh, it's very difficult to to work with it correctly unless like you, you understand it and understanding it is very complicated um and what we have been trying to do uh at least until now like in bin design is to uh, nudge or guide uh our users to more private uh, and more secure choices. Right. Uh, and sometimes it came, uh, at the expense of usability, like, right. Because, uh, we know that there is, uh, this trade off between the privacy and you know, how easy is something to use? Absolutely. Okay. So speaking of usability, I will segue because I see that the time is running, uh, I will segue into the web wallet situation. And, um, uh, first of all, uh, we have the Dappnet version of the web wallet almost ready. I think uh, we, we will push it. Uh, so it, it's not like a perfect version, but it's good for testing. And I think we should start testing it together. It looks nice. Uh, I don't think we will we will even push it to the Chrome Store. We will just distribute it uh, as an archive and explain how to install it. Uh, you can always install extensions locally on your browser. Uh, it's uh, nice, you know, for kind of local testing, um, very useful. That's how developers test it or QA now, uh, it was like in terms of the functionality, first of all, it was adapted as, as we talked about to the latest, uh, changes in the Chrome, um, manifest and like the, the way that extensions work, but the, when I was thinking about, uh, this topic, Uh, I have realized that uh, probably there is another important difference between, let's say, Beam Wallet and the MetaMask, right? In terms of how they function, uh, which I think probably not everyone knows about or, like, it's worth mentioning. Um, The way MetaMask works is it's an extension uh, which is installed in your browser. It stores all of the secrets uh, locally in an encrypted way, obviously. And then it connects to an API to the backend to the server API uh, in order to get all of the information about the blockchain. So it's yeah, it's kind of centralized in a way that you use a specific kind of centralized server as a backend for, for, for MetaMask. Uh, and uh, obviously it's safe because it stores all of the secrets locally, it never sends them to the server in, you know, in an open way or any other way. Uh, now, Beam Wallet uh, also stores all the secrets locally in the same way, but also it does not use any kind of external API. It can connect to any Beam node, uh, which provides a WebSocket functionality. WebSocket is a technology that allows you to open a channel. Like usually in the browser, you ask for a page and you get it, or you ask for some data through an API and you get it. But WebSockets is a technology that allows you to open a channel which is uh, bi-directional and send information uh, between the node and the wallet uh, both ways uh, all the time. And this is important to get the updates, uh, the events that happen on the blockchain, update the state of the wallet and all that. And this was the component that we previously used to hold in the background of the extension. And this was exactly the mechanism that uh, uh, Google uh deprecated and uh, made us change so now when you're going to open the web wallet it will open a tab um which will have to stay open as long as you want to receive updates in the world so basically when you close the tab it's like you close the wallet. now it's it's annoying on one uh like side but it's also nice because now we have more uh, real estate that we can utilize for showing more information in the world so that's the, the, the kind of the main uh, the main change. Um, one of the interesting things that we always wanted to do and we need to do now that, that we have the new version is to tie it uh, in a much better way with the uh, App Store. Because all of the applications that you see today in like in desktop wallet, uh, they're basically web pages. And uh, just like you saw in the case of Beam Bridges, uh, they can be just as easily served from, you know, anywhere from a server or whatever, and then you can interact with them by connecting your Beam wallet. Now, there are two points here. The first one that was also mentioned is how to make this entire store decentralized, but still serviceable as a web, uh, uh, you know, through a browser. Uh, For example, if you store it on IPFS, you can then use uh, uh, all kinds of tricks to like map those pages uh, to specific IPFS locations, so it will be decentralized, but the, the access to it will go through uh, DNS services, right? Because eventually you need some kind of a URL or some kind of an address to get to it in the browser. So this is the, the point w- that we need to think about of how to make this happen. But once we do, it will be very or like much more convenient uh, to get access to all of the applications without actually installing the desktop wallet and synchronizing it and all that. It will be much better onboarding experience, uh, and we hope to utilize that for kind of increasing adoption because it's much easier to say, listen, just go to this URL, you know, click on that extension, and you're good to go. Now, the thing is that even better, we can, uh, in some cases, we can do it um, in a simpler way uh, in terms of basically embedding the entire wallet library into a page. Like, we can do that uh and now you can don't even have to install the extension like if it's something that uh, uh affects the conversion you can just basically create your seed phrase or use the seed phrase in place uh it's not secure for those like it's not secure it's not going to be used instead of the wallet uh, but it can be used in cases when you interact with uh, uh certain applications that like don't require uh, you know massive amounts of, of funds or like kind of beacon, you know, use a second as a secondary sort of wallet, uh, and then switch to the main wallet for all the other kind of more sensitive operations. But it's possible to do these combinations and uh, provide um, decentralized applications that are kind of easy, e- easier to access than sort just the desktop wallet. That kind of the idea.
1: Yeah, it, like the, the web wallets definitely open up like uh, easier onboarding, and, and this kind of relates also to, to what we mentioned about. I think it was in the last space about like when people are opening up the desktop wallet for the first time, should they be loading the whole uh, blockchain or should they be using like another node and and fast syncing to that? Uh, and, and again, it's back to that like trade off between centralization and supporting the network and like a fast, easy onboard and, and easy UI for new users.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that that's, um, that's something that uh, we wanted to do for a long time. Uh, but uh, now that we have a, like, finally we have a working wallet again, the web wallet, uh, I think it will be uh, possible to engage. Uh, also, let's not forget that the uh, DAPnet, like, uh, DAPnet, I'm sorry, the Store screen itself, uh, it's basically a combination right now of two components. It's a combination of a centralized like list that is served from, from a server, but it's, it's also displaying the applications that were uploaded uh, through the uh, Dap Store contract, uh, and are basically located on the the data itself is on the IPFS, and the metadata is stored in the con- in the contract on chain. Uh, so the screen like for the Dub Store itself is also a decentralized application of its own, right? So if we need, can support that seamlessly on the web, it means that like you don't need, you don't need the wallets to get started with the DAP. You just go to the screen and then it brings information from chain, uh, in, like it's public information, obviously, for, and then presents it on in your browser and then you can start interacting with it uh, through work. any any means possible, an extension or like maybe in, inside the page, like, yeah. So that's that's something that we need to figure out in the coming weeks and, uh, uh, and finalize this uh, web experience for B uh and then we can link to it from anywhere right it's much easier to uh you know you want to see our decks no problem just go to this page boom all the information is there you want to interact with it no problem install the extension right it's much simpler to present and then say oh you have to download the desktop portal synchronize it and only then you will able to see the deck so that's kind of the the difference here and i think it's an important one
1: yeah absolutely and like i've i've been i obviously do like lots of crypto stuff in my spare time which i have plenty of and (laughs) and like whenever i meet something like an application where i have to like download a new wallet uh and open that before i can see like any of the information in the in the application it's always like uh it makes me stop and think like ah, oh, why can I not just see the information and, and this kind of stuff and create some kind of like a,
0: a barrier to onboarding. Exactly. Exactly. The experience is much better uh, if you can see, you know, information immediately. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of also, um, uh, you know, this creates this uh, uh, desire to use it. Like you see, like something is happening, right? People making transactions and they say, oh, I want, you know, I want into this. Uh, instead of putting in a lot of effort first yeah it's, it's basic kind of uh, uh internet uh experience 101 but yeah now now with the new uh, wallet and uh, uh, some ad- adjustments uh, adjustments to the duck store it will be possible to implement that as well in beam which i think will be great absolutely that will be wicked yeah yeah, so we, we're on that. Um, okay, do we have any other questions we didn't answer? Or something important we forgot? Uh, yeah. Uh, we can talk about, uh, next in the next space, maybe we can mention the uh, SGX story, which is kind of being discussed in the BIM community right now. Yeah. Okay, that's fine.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, it was very very nice.
1: As always, a pleasure, Alex, and thank you for all of the insights on Beam, and very very like exciting times I think for Beam at the moment as well.
0: <laughs> Is that your uh, new uh, family member there?
1: Yeah, I I just he was whinging a little bit because he's trying to get my sandal off so he can eat it
0: uh,
1: <laughs> while I'm while I'm talking. Yeah, but he's got it now, so he's he's happy. That, 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 that's what it sounded like. It sounded like Victor. <laughs> yeah, my my sandal doesn't look so happy, but he does. So
0: <laughs> okay, all right. Thanks, and uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Uh, a lot of updates are coming, uh, and we will see you next week as well. So yeah, stay healthy and safe, and see you soon. Absolutely. See you guys. Thank <laughs> you everybody. so much. Bye-bye.